Welcome to the Travel Pulse podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Travel Agent Academy. Travel Agent Academy provides you with the most advanced interactive travel agent training available today on products sure to both impress and protect your clients. From popular destinations to top resorts around the world, plus cruises and comprehensive travel insurance. The award-winning content is designed to help you learn and retain information in fun and interactive ways and help you increase bookings by empowering you to sell as a specialist. You'll learn how to acquire a strong grasp of each product's key selling points. You can gain credits, earn rewards, and even learn on the go on your tablet device. Learn more about these free programs at TravelAgentAcademy.com. What's up, everyone? Today is Tuesday, June 20th. Happy Travel Tuesday. And for those of you listening later in the week, happy summer. Tomorrow, June 21st, is the first official day of the summer season. Of course, those of us in the travel industry, you know, summer pretty much kicks off with Memorial Day weekend, right? So it's been an interesting June so far, and I'm excited to see what the rest of the summer travel season brings. So we've got a great show for you today, talking big news around the world of travel and summer as well. Joining me later on the show is Chris Davidson, Executive Vice President of MMGY Travel Intelligence. Chris and I are going to discuss the summer 2023 travel outlook and what's trending there, where people are going, and so much more. But first, as we do for every episode, in case this is your first time listening, let's dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. We begin with some good news. New data from the United States government's Consumer Price Index found that travel industry's prices have declined in May. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, airline ticket prices for American carriers fell 13% in May compared to the same month in 2022, the most significant decline since March of 2021. Travel booking app Hopper found that the average price of a domestic flight in the U.S. was expected to be around $306 this summer, a considerable drop from the $376 average last summer. Prices for 2023 will peak at about $349 around Independence Day. No surprise there, July 4th, always a busy time for travel. Especially this one, we've got an extended weekend with everything going on with July 4th falling on like a Tuesday and a lot of people going to be taking big long trips that week for sure. So, however, you know, hotel rates, those rose actually 1.8% in May compared to April and 3% year over year. So hotel room rates in both the US and Europe are steadily increasing and likely to get even more pricey, according to many hotel industry executives. Good to see a bit of a decline here in the industry, but I don't think this will be a trend of prices dropping. So we'll have a slowdown, but you know, the holiday bookings will get pricey later in this year for sure. So book early. If you haven't already booked holiday stuff and you're thinking about holiday time vacation, go ahead and get on that booking. Jumping over to other air travel news, we've got the FAA to require a secondary flight deck barrier on new planes. So a new requirement there from the Federal Aviation Administration announced last week, and it's designed to ensure the safety of aircraft, flight crew, and passengers. The secondary barrier will pr- rule will protect flight decks from intrusion when the flight deck door is open. No pilot should have to worry about an intrusion on a flight deck, acting FAA Associate Administrator for Safety David Bolter said. A thousand percent agree there with you, David. And no flight attendants have to worry about being intact either. But unfortunately, there are terrible people out there and it is risky up there. It's a risky job to be a flight attendant. I couldn't do it. And I know a lot of people that do do it. And I thank my flight attendants every time I fly. And I think you should as well, because the unruly passengers and the naughty passenger behavior is trending upward, unfortunately. So we don't love to see that. But good that this rule is being put in place. Kind of surprised you know, it's 2023 now, and we're just getting this for, for new planes in the future. But, you know, I thought this, hopefully, you know, that's part post, uh, post-pandemic, you know, change here. Uh, things that have changed, the rise in unruly passengers making 
changes happen, unfortunately. In other air travel news, Upgraded Points recently released its study of the most and least kid-friendly airports in the country based on an array of factors, including family restrooms, play areas, average wait times, Wi-Fi speeds, and more, because we all know the kids love to be plugged in and connected <laughs> these days. So most friendly, just the top five there, was LAX, LaGuardia, and NYC, Logan Airport in Boston, San Diego, and San Francisco. So first time I walked through the San Diego airport, I remember thinking, well, this looks really fun for kids. So uh, LAX, the number one, seems surprising because I always hear people just like crap on that airport a lot. But I mean, you know, the study said, you know, fast uh, Wi-Fi times on that. And then they're investing a lot of money in making LAX better. Uh, and it's going to continue to get better as they uh, go through their infrastructure and, and work through all that and get the more uh, mobile-friendly um, passenger routes there. So that'll be good to seamlessly, uh, you know, take away some of that traffic there. But uh, as far as, you know, least friendly, though, Southwest Florida International Airport in Fort Myers was number was number one, if you will, I guess it was the worst <laughs> among their list that they did here, followed by Denver, Chicago Midway, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Orlando. Uh, and Orlando, you know, you'd think they'd have kid friendly uh, on lock, right? You'd think they'd be good there being the theme park capital of the world and all. But I'm not too surprised that they're in this bottom five. I mean, if you've been through it, you know, it's 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 not much, honestly. I mean, it, uh, when you first come in, you know, they hit you with that Disney and Universal stores right there. They got an okay food court to the left um, at before security and everything. After after that, after you go through TSA and stuff, it's kind of bare. You know, I'd, I'd be bored too if I were a kid and I just went off an amazing vacation and now I'm in the airport and, you know, I want to, oh, you're probably just going to jump on a screen on, on some of those. So, uh, yeah, honestly, I'm a little surprised my home base of Atlanta wasn't a little lower on this. It wasn't mentioned among the top 10 of the lowest. Um, I wish they had more kid spaces. I haven't really seen a whole lot. Uh, I mean, you know, good Wi-Fi, I will say. So that's probably why they weren't you know, among the bottom since Wi-Fi was a heavy factor in the study here. But uh, other findings from the study, which I found interesting, was 49% of parents say that traveling with their kids is an overwhelming experience. One in four Americans travel much less after becoming a parent. And according to parents, the most important amenities for traveling with children are access to fast Wi-Fi and the number of available device charging stations. So to that, I say parents get your own, you know, backup chargers on that if that's really that big of a significance for you. But I mean, 49%, dang, that's that's too high on that. And one in four traveling much less after becoming parents, like that's, that's sad. That's so sad there. I, I find that incredibly sad. Uh, I think those folks are not using a travel advisor. They're not traveling smarter. They've been traveling harder since becoming parents, but that's my take. So traveling with kids, yes, can be hard. I mean, I know I'm a new dad. My, I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old. Certainly not easy. It presents new challenges that we've had to, you know, overcome with that. But, uh, you know, don't let it deter you from traveling. In fact, I mean, there are so many benefits for kids traveling at, at young ages. You expose them to different cultures, different ways of life, unique things out there in the world. I mean, the world is beautiful. It's big. It's amazing. So let your kids see it. You know, and I can't wait to see more of the world with my daughter and son. Jumping over to destination news, the UK will start charging visitors an entry fee in 2024. They intend to roll out the electronic travel authorization requirement in 24, and it'll cost 10 pounds, which right now amounts to a little over $12. So travelers who will require an ETA to visit the United Kingdom include those who plan to visit for up to six months for tourism, to spend time with family or friends to conduct business or to study, individuals who plan to come to the UK for up to three months on what's known as the Creative Worker Visa Concession, and travelers who simply transiting through the UK, including if you're not even going through UK Border Patrol as part of the transit. So, you know, another destination adding a tourism fee, We've talked about this on the podcast a number of times before, and I don't really have an issue with it. Not a whole lot of money, you know, 
that is uh, ten, you know, twelve bucks for Americans right there. Totally worth it to go see more of the UK. And you know, you just got to hope that these fees, you know, that they're the money that is being collected for that is being put to good use and being put in areas that will help tourism grow as well. So that's what we hope to see in the coming future there for the UK as they get more of our money. <laughs> Speaking of Europe, summer is going to see a record number of transatlantic flights from U.S. to Europe. Uh, new data from air travel intelligence company OAG showed that summer 2023 will see more than 111,000 scheduled flights inbound from Western Europe to the U.S., equivalent to about 530 per day. Looking back to a decade ago in the summer of 2013, it was over 80,000 flights across the pond were scheduled between U.S. and Western Europe, indicating an almost 40% increase in air travel between the two areas within that 10-year span. So OAG said, with more flights, strong demand, and capacity once again under pressure in many markets, there is every reason to expect this summer is to be a record revenue-producing period for airlines across the Atlantic. Record revenue. You're going to see that a lot, I think. So there's there's so much money in travel and tourism year-round, especially so in the summer. And the summer is going to be a big one. So my travel advisor listeners, how's business looking for you? Let me know. Podcast at TravelPulse.com. I know I've chatted with you some about how crazy Europe is recently, too. This summer is going to be a hectic one for advisors with clients in Europe. The strikes from aviation workers across Britain, France, Italy, and Spain is going to disrupt travel for many, unfortunately. So my consumer listeners out there, who are headed to Europe, I surely hope that you booked with a travel advisor in case something unexpected impacts your travel plans. And lastly, rounding out some of the big news, you know, bookmark travelpulse.com, of course, for all uh, your travel news. You can stay up to date on there. But one thing that just recently came out is uh, the ancient Roman site where Julius Caesar was killed is set to become a tourist attraction, and it opens this week. Travelers can visit the site uh, every day, expect, except on Mondays and some major holidays. It'll be closed. But tickets are priced at five euros, so just a little over five dollars for general admission. The four temples, which is called the Sacred Area, is located in Largo, Argentina, so Argentine Square, and it dates as far back as the third century BC. So incredible history there. The opening was partially funded by luxury jeweler uh, Bulgari, funding accessible walkways and lighting on that so that's really cool something to add to if you have been to italy before but now you can actually get down there and um sure you're gonna see people try to reenact that scene out where julius caesar was stabbed and etu brute it will probably be said a bajillion times <laughs> that site in the coming months here for sure in this busy summer so that wraps up what has been trending in the world of travel. Any additional thoughts, you can drop me an email, podcast at travelpulse.com. Now we're going to jump over to our theme of the week and welcome this week's guest on the show. And now joining me on the podcast is Chris Davidson, Executive Vice President of MMGY Travel Intelligence. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, just for a little refresher, anyone who isn't familiar with you and what you do at MMGY and everything, could you just talk a little bit about your role in the travel industry? Uh, sure. Uh, so I oversee uh, what's called MMGY Travel Intelligence. Uh, we've been around uh, in that form uh, for about three or four years. We, we you know, essentially created that brand, which consisted of data, strategy, research, various forms of research or performance data with DK Shiflet um, and others. But we've been doing uh, research as an agency now uh, for literally 40 years. So it's kind of a foundational element of everything we do for our clients from a planning and uh, you know, planning and strategy perspective. And, and I oversee that group that really connects what we do from a research perspective to all of our clients. 
Excellent. Yeah, research and data is so important to the industry here. And the MMMGY Portrait of the American Traveler Summer Edition is set to release in the coming week. So, Chris, I know you know it's not fully out yet, but uh, let's talk a little bit about what, what you can tell us. I mean, what's what's the outlook for summer 2023 and travel right now? I mean, it, it kind of feels like we're booming here, right? It does. It really feels uh, really positive right now. We have, you know, we've been doing the portrait now for literally 33 years. And uh, we we switched to a quarterly release of the portrait back in 2021. So now each and every you know every three quarters we're or every three months rather we're sending out uh, the report highlighting what we're seeing in the mind of the traveling consumer. So yeah, the results have been phenomenal. Uh, you know, for this quarter, I'm really optimistic about the summer. I mean, just a couple of stats that we're seeing. I mean, if you look at you know those who intend to travel, the percentage of U.S. adults that say they intend to travel in the next 12 months has increased, you know, compared to this time last year from 70% up to 77%. So that's a statistically significant increase, and that's great news. But if we look specifically at summer, that increase has gone from 40% who said they expect to travel in the next three months, so essentially the summer period, um, up to 48%. So nearly half of all U.S. adults are planning to travel within the next three months. And that's, uh, again, another statistically significant increase. Great news for the travel business. Um, and we're seeing, you know, a number of, you know, the, you know, I guess the reasons, you know, you said, well, why is that, right? I mean, we're, well, we see, you know, still continued, you know, strong savings rates. Uh, you know, that's something that's uh, dissipated a bit, you know, in terms of revenge travel is probably a little bit less of a thing as savings rates have uh, depleted a bit, but still strong uh, relative to historical uh, averages, still st- uh, strong savings rates. Uh, we're seeing an incredibly strong appetite for travel. I mean, it's it's crazy. If you look at you know the, the stats, even year over year, you know, last year I think sixty six percent of uh, uh, active leisure travelers said travel is the most you know, the thing they look forward to most in the entire year, and that number is up to seventy percent this year. So the appetite for travel, interest in travel, continues to be really high and. We're also seeing kind of that shift, that continued shift back during COVID. You know, there was a strong shift to uh, product purchases. So people obviously couldn't travel nearly as much and they started putting either money into savings or they started you know, investing money in products and goods and service or goods. And, and traditionally uh, or historically, rather, that number in terms of the, the balance of between product purchases and, and services has been more like 30, 70 and we're still you know, short of that in the range of 65, 66%, I believe now, uh, in terms of purchases of services. So that number still has room to, to move up and uh, travel is a huge beneficiary of that. Yeah, it's great with that, you know, the boom continues on, you know, I feel like we've talked about that. I mean, in, you know, you're on the show last year, and we uh, it's sort of a different uh, take, you know, on last summer compared to where we're at this summer and, uh, you know, trending upward is still, you know, the uh, the my, the set that we're seeing, you know, from a lot of travelers out there. And, uh, you know, the skies are going to be packed and the roads are going to be packed, too. I think we might see a little bit more people in the skies this summer than we did last year. But I don't know, the, a lot of them, uh, you know, the chaos of last summer might scare some people into driving more. What, what do, you, do you think that's accurate or uh, what do you think? Yeah, well, I think, you know, so one of the we're definitely seeing an increase in the number of people who say they expect to drive, uh, you know, for travel. You know, that doesn't mean they're going to you know, fly less. So we're again, we're seeing an overall increase in intent to travel. So um, but we are seeing you know, that, you know, the strong interest in, in, in drive as well. 
But it's, you know, it's something where, you know, I, I feel like all, you know, most forms of leisure travel are really trending in a very positive way. You, you mentioned the concerns about uh, the people had about the chaos of travel or the, you know, flights being canceled or delayed or lines at the airport. That, you know, I look specifically at those, those data and, and that indica- would indicate that that's actually declining in as a material concern. So, you know, and again, statistically significant decreases in the concerns expressed around that type of thing. So good news, good news, good news. It really is, you know, the, the barriers are starting to clear for most people. Again, not for everyone, but for most people, again, very good news for the travel business uh, going into the summer months. We love to see it. Yeah. Business booming for a lot of my travel advisor listeners, too. So when we talk about summer travel and everything, what factors do you think affect where people decide to visit anything in your data that surprises you? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's, thing, there's, there's certainly some things that don't surprise me, right? I mean, you look at the top of the list, you've got beautiful scenery. Okay, well, <laughs> a lot of people love beautiful scenery. That's probably not a surprise to your listeners. But uh, safety comes in second. So, and we don't define whether that's concerns about COVID specifically or safety from violence or, you know, other forms of, you know, feeling safe. But that comes in second. And that's typically what you would expect. You want a vacation or a place where you feel safe. So those two aren't surprising a bit. Yeah. Well, what, to me, what surprised me, I think the most and what continues to surprise me over the, as this has trended over the last couple of years has been number three on the list of factors that affect where people go is actually the food and drink scene. And now that used to be very much an aftermarket decision, right? You'd book your, you say, where do I want to go? What type of trip do I want to have? A beach vacation, a ski vacation, whatever it might be. You know, I want to decide how I'm going to get there. I'll book my place, you know, I'll do all those things. And then typically, you know, in the, in path, in the past, people would get there and go, okay, now where do we want to go? Where do we want to eat? You know, you might've booked some activities in advance, but you probably didn't book a lot of restaurants in advance. Maybe it did, you know, for the first night or two you're there. Anyway, yeah. you're starting to see that is a factor, literally number three on a long list of factors that affect where people right. want to go. So the culinary experiences that one can have in a destination are starting to you know, creep up that list in terms of where people want to go, the ideas and inspiration for the places they want to visit. So that that to me is a pretty, uh, pretty interesting one. And then. You know, something else that we are starting to see increasing evidence of is something that I would call identity travel. And so so what's that mean? Well, you know, whether it's political or otherwise, people, you know, there's you know, the country, and I wouldn't say this is a good thing, certainly, but it is increasingly polarized in certain you know, topics. And people increasingly identify in one way or another and increasingly identify with certain destinations that they feel you know, either the residents uh, are more likely to, to share their beliefs or whatever it might be. But, you know, we know that, you know, the number where we, we ask a question where we say uh, it's an agreement statement, meaning we make a statement and they ask the extent to which you agree with this statement on a five point scale. And the question is the places that I visit say a lot about who I am as a person. And the, when we look at top box, either somewhat agree or definitely agree with that statement. That number is up to 51%. So more than half of our respondents, half of all active leisure travelers are saying that they, you know, the places they go say something about who they are, say a lot about who they are. So they're looking at places, you know, I would interpret that to say they're looking at places that where they want, you know, they want to visit increasingly places where they believe people either share their beliefs 
or potentially the destination brand has done a good job of identifying and articulating what it stands for, the values of the place, whatever it might be. But that is something that we are seeing evidence when you look at and you, know, you break uh, the results down by either how people identify politically or certain other beliefs. You're starting to see evidence that the rank order list of destinations that they're interested in uh, is affected by that in, 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 you know, in, inter- in some interesting ways. And we're going to be digging into that in, in more detail here over the coming weeks. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's very interesting for sure. Uh, identity stuff. And I think that lines up to a little bit of the, uh, the safety aspect that you mentioned earlier as, as uh, the number two, you know, spot and, uh, how you identify and whether it's politicals, whether it's your, you know, um, skull every skin or whether it's your, um, Yep. sexual orientation and all that, what, you know, where do you feel comfortable? Where do you feel safe? And, you know, we've exactly seen, right. you know, uh, different travel warnings pop up for Florida, as mentioned on previous shows here, that that's impacted, you know, some people's decisions, but in the grand scheme of Florida, they're still, you know, doing great, great numbers and, and travel and tourism stuff. Um, myself, I identify, you know, uh, back to that first one that you mentioned, that's the surprising one of food, right? That I think social media is really playing a factor in that too. You got a, the, the big FOMO aspect that goes to the scenery, you know, that you mentioned first, but food wise too, I think like, I, at least me personally, I've seen so much on, and maybe that's just because I clicked on a few more food things and the algorithm is like, oh, this guy loves food. Let's just feed him food stuff over and over on my, whether it's TikTok or Instagram reels and all that is, is so much food related content. Um, I've got uh, my sister, I'm, we're doing a Vegas trip later this year in October. And uh, my sister was already sending me a bunch of stuff that she found, you know, um, on social media and have half of that. It was mostly food related on things to do. So yeah, food is uh, culinary tourism. I think thriving on that and um, interested to see more you know, on the identity travel uh, stuff too, as you guys break that out. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's their own reality TV star these days. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> you want to share every aspect of your life and social media and, and, but that, you know, that gets down to the things that you want to share, the things that you're excited about or proud about, or, you know, just the experiences, the really unique experiences that you, that you have. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I would say is that, you know, we look at, we've done an interesting analysis in the past where we look at, uh, the difference in affluent travelers and luxury travelers. So again, in a way to identify or self-identify, I found that only about a third of those who make over $100,000 a year, and you could debate whether what that threshold should be, but only about a third of those who make over $100,000 a year would consider themselves a luxury traveler. And so, you know, what we found in the past is there's a, a pretty healthy percentage of people who make a lot of money you know, on a household income perspective that don't identify as a luxury traveler. And so Interesting. I would say that, you know, bespoke travel is really the new luxury travel, you know, creating those experiences, whether it's food and, you know, culinary or otherwise, you know, those are experiences that, you know, when you look at, you know, the, the types of experiences that people want to have on vacation, those are increasingly valued uh, for many travelers, not every traveler, but for many travelers over what the traditional kind of quote unquote luxury travel experiences might be. Fascinating there. Oh, um, yeah, that I'm blown away by that right there, that they wouldn't self-identify that. Uh, I mean, like, that's a large number. You know, you hit your uh, your triple zeros there and everything. So uh, interesting on that. Uh, but as we talk about summer travel, you know, the chasing new experiences and uh, chasing that new, I think is really exciting for a lot. And what some people dive into for their summer. Some people go back to their familiar creature comforts and visit the same destination over and over again. That's what my folks did when I, growing up, we always went to Orlando. And so that is definitely a popular summer travel destination. But what else are you seeing as far as uh, destinations that are hot uh, this summer, uh, both US internationally? 
Let's jump it yeah. out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought you might ask me that. So I took a look and, and again, there, there aren't a lot of surprises at the top of the yeah. list. I don't know that there's uh you know, I'm not going to you know pick a random destination for, I know people are listening so that you wouldn't expect, but uh, you know, you've got Hawaii at the top of the list. Las Vegas actually, interestingly is second. Um, maybe it's not so interesting, but Florida Keys third, uh, New York wow. city. And then your favorite Orlando uh, comes up number five. Go. So Large destinations, you know, we had, it is interesting to see New York City, you know, creep back in, obviously during yeah. COVID, there was a uh, move away from the larger cities, is, uh, you know, obviously it's in the news very much, but or New York is firmly planted back at number four. Um, and then we look, I looked internationally, and you've got, uh, you know, regionally first, you know, Europe is the top of the list, you know, this is outgoing, outbound international travelers from the US. So Europe is at the top of the list regionally uh the caribbean comes in second uh interestingly canada comes in third and then mexico fourth and so you've got within those you know we have you know kind of rank order you know destinations within each of those uh, of interest so for example in the caribbean the bahamas is at the top of the list you know again ease of access relatively affordable a lot of cruise line business um, great destination. U.S. Virgin Islands comes in second. And then uh, I was a little surprised to see Jamaica come in third, but that's great. So, yeah. um, but then again, we've got the kind of the breakouts and then the full report, we'll have that. Uh, we ask about 60, I think it's 61 domestic destinations overall. And then we ask about destinations for this study. We ask about destinations in the Caribbean, Mexico, um, the Caribbean and Mexico, specifically destinations within those regions in the study. And so the the nice thing is we have the ability to go in and for any you know destination we ask about carve out the percentage and carve out the respondents who said they have an interest in visiting that destination and build a profile of that specific audience of interest compared to those who don't have an interest and oftentimes we see some very interesting things about you know that define the type of visitor that would be you know the right prospect audience for that destination. That's great. Yeah. Important research that the industry definitely needs. Um, shout out to Canada. Wow. Number three, surpassing Mexico yeah. there. I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people went to Mexico, you know, in the early days of the the pandemic when travel first sort of rebounded. So a lot of those people uh, heading elsewhere this summer, um, which, you know, no surprise for Europe. So as I mentioned yeah. earlier in the, uh, oh, so the, the what, trending news. Yeah. So what would you guess uh, within Canada? What would you say were the top three destinations of interest within Canada? Take your best guess. Ooh, uh, I mean, it's got to be, you know, big city revival, right? So Toronto, maybe Vancouver, um, Montreal. Oh, you nailed it. Are you looking at my notes? No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you nailed it. Those are the top three in Canada. I was a little surprised, actually, that uh, Toronto uh, beat out Vancouver, but... Uh, you know, that, uh, I guess it, it's not all that surprising. They're certainly both amazing yeah. destinations. So, I wonder if that's more of a accessibility, you know, routes thing, more people from the yeah. East Coast yep. jumping over to, to Toronto. Yeah. On that. Um, I've never been to Vancouver. So, that is definitely on, that's my number one Canada destination that I really need oh, to get amazing. to right here. Absolutely here amazing. We did a lot of work there a few years back and uh, just an incredible destination. One of my favorite in the world. Talk about yeah you know, the gorgeous scenery you know being the top thing right there I, I, that that shows up on the social media as well and it's just yeah. continued to to double tap and and put it on the the wish list as it rolls on so um, as we close out here any any closing advice you want to give to travelers and travel advisors you know um, as we go through the the thick of the summer here 
Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great question for travel advisors specifically. I mean, one of the things that I did take a look at some of the data that we're we're getting because we do have a specific module in this in this uh, release for the summer about travel advisors, and we are seeing that that uh, the percentage of active leisure travelers who say they expect to use a travel advisor sometime in the next two years is actually declining a bit. So in 2021, that number was 36 percent dropped down to 31% of active leisure travelers last year and then declined a little bit further to 28%. So we are seeing that drop off a little bit, which is really interesting because we saw that rate that rise for for several years prior. And, you know, so, you know, one of the things that I think is oftentimes a little bit surprising to, to people, maybe not so much to travel advisors who are doing this every day, but to the industry in general, is that younger generations actually are the, the generations that are most likely to raise their hand and say, yes, I do plan to use a travel advisor. And so, you know, by a fairly considerable margin. And when you look at the reasons they say they, you know, they plan to do that, uh, you know, for an older generation, it's typically like a boomer generation is really concerned about getting the best prices and making, you know, making the travel experience easier, having a source of, um, you know, if, if something goes wrong, having a resource that they can call. But for a younger generation, it's about different things. It's about really, you know, understanding and, and identifying what are the hottest, trendiest destinations out there. You know, it's that, you know, fear missing out, you know, the FOMO yeah. type of deal. But it's also about, you know, identifying uh, experiences and providing access to experiences that they can't get elsewhere. They don't feel like they could get easily on their own. So being able to identify whether it's that interesting culinary experience we were talking about earlier or something that's truly unique and bespoke to the destination. Those are the types of things that the younger generations are looking uh, to travel advisors to help provide. So those are things that I think uh, I would you know, counsel uh, travel advisors uh, uh, to, to look at and to, you know, they, I know they're doing a fantastic job and that we work with a number uh, of groups in that front uh, every day. And uh, I know that's the top of their, I, know that I, certainly, I certainly know that's visible for them right now, but that is something that I would suggest. Yeah, though that's great for the future of the industry, though that the the youth there is looking to advisors more. So hopefully that trend, you know, continues on as they continue to grow and um, uh, millennials and Gen Zs uh, continue to use advisors because that's the best way to go, as we always say here on yeah. the Travel Pulse podcast. So, well, thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. Um, where can people be on the? I mean, we'll have it up on travelpulse.com, but you know, next week the Portrait of American Traveler uh, comes out. So be sure to look out for that on, on our website and anything uh, you want to plug here uh, before we head out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you can certainly look for it on, on the travel pulse site. We can, uh, we have that at mmgyintel.com as well. Uh, along with a lot of other research we're doing, we talked earlier about you know some of uh, you know how people identify. We've done a lot of work looking at uh, you know profiling LGBTQ plus travelers, for example, uh, Black travelers, Hispanic American travelers. We have studies that are really fascinating that kind of explore you know the the specific uh, needs of those audiences and and perspectives that are really eye opening in a lot of ways. So a lot of great research out there. We you know certainly do our best to provide uh, some good insight that guides planning decisions. And uh, excited to really support you next week. So thanks for the opportunity to talk a little bit about it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. Great. Take care. Eric. Thanks again to Chris for taking time to jump on the show and talk summer travel here. Be sure to look out for that MMGY summer portrait of American Traveler. So exciting times ahead for the travel industry. If you'd like to be on the show, podcast at travelpulse.com is the email you can reach out to me about what you're all about and we can try to work something out and look forward to 
seeing you guys out and about this summer. Hope you got some great vacation plans. Can't wait to hear about them too. So that wraps up what we have for this week. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>